section 20 of The Natural History, volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Natural History, volume 5, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 20, book 24, chapters 64 to 90. Chapter 64, Gum, Eleven Remedies. We have already spoken of the different kinds of gum. The better sort of each kind will be found the most effective. Gum is bad for the teeth. It tends to make the blood coagulate, and is consequently good for discharges of blood from the mouth. It is useful for burns, but is bad for diseases of the trachea. It exercises a diuretic effect and tends to neutralize all acridities, being astringent in other respects. The gum of the bitter almond tree, which has the most astringent properties of them all, is calorific also in its effects. Still, however, the gum of the plum, cherry, and vine is greatly preferred, all which kinds, applied topically, are productive of astringent and desiccative effects, and used with vinegar heal lichens upon infants. Taken in must, in doses of four oboli, they are good for inveterate coughs. It is generally thought that gum, taken in raisin wine, improves the complexion, sharpens the appetite, and is good for calculi in the bladder. It is particularly useful, too, for wounds and affections of the eyes. Chapter 65. 12. The Egyptian or Arabian Thorn. Four Remedies. When speaking of the perfumes, we have descanted upon the merits of the Egyptian or Arabian Thorn. This, too, is of an astringent nature, and acts as a dissective upon fluxes of all kinds, discharges of blood from the mouth, and excessive menstruation, for all which purposes the root is still more efficacious. Chapter 66. The White Thorn, Two Remedies. The Acanthion, One Remedy. The seed of the white thorn is useful as a remedy for the stings of scorpions, and a chaplet made of it is good for headache. Similar to this plant is that known to the Greeks as the Acanthion, though it is much smaller in the leaf which is pointed at the extremity and covered with a down like a cobweb in appearance. This downy substance is gathered in the east and certain textures are made of it similar to those of silk. An infusion of the leaves or root of this plant is taken for the cure of opisthotony. Chapter 67. Gum Acacia. 18 Remedies. Gum Acacia is produced also from the white and black thorns of Egypt, and from a green thorn as well. The produce, however, of the former trees is by far the best. There is also a similar gum found in Galatia, but of very inferior quality, the produce of a more thorny tree than those last mentioned. The seed of all these trees resembles the lentil in appearance, only that it is smaller, as well as the pod which contains it. It is gathered in autumn, before which period it would be too powerful in its effects. The juice is left to thicken in the pods, which are steeped in rainwater for the purpose, and then pounded in a mortar, after which the juice is extracted by means of presses. It is then dried in the mortars in the sun, and when dry is divided into tablets. A similar juice is extracted from the leaves, but is by no means so useful as the other. The seed is used also as a substitute for nut galls in curing leather. The juice extracted from the leaves, as also the extremely black juice of the Galatian acacia, is held in no esteem. The same, too, with that of a deep red colour. The gum which is of a purple, or of an ashy grey colour, and which dissolves with the greatest rapidity, possesses the most astringent and cooling qualities of them all, and is more particularly useful as an ingredient in compositions for the eyes. 
When required for these purposes, the tablets are steeped in water by some, while some again scorch them and others reduce them to ashes. They are useful for dyeing the hair and for the cure of erysipelas, serpiginous sores, ulcerations of the humid parts of the body, gatherings, contusions of the joints, chilblains, and hangnails. They are good also for cases of excessive menstruation, procedence of the uterus and rectum, affections of the eyes, and ulcerations of the generative organs and mouth. Chapter 68 13. Aspalathos, one remedy. The common thorn, too, with which the fulling coppers are filled, is employed for the same purposes as the ridicula. In the provinces of Spain, it is commonly employed as an ingredient in perfumes and unguents, under the name of aspalathos. There is no doubt, however, that there is also a wild thorn of the same name in the east, as already mentioned, of a white colour and the size of an ordinary tree. Chapter 69 the usus septrum, adipsotheon, or diaxylon, eight remedies. There is also found in the islands of Nisros and of Rhodes a shrub of smaller size, but full as thorny, known by some as the erisiceptrum, by others as the adipsotheon, and by the Syrians as the diaxylon. The best kind is that which is the least ferulaceous in the stem, and which is of a red colour, or inclining to purple when the bark is removed. It is found growing in many places, but is not everywhere odoriferous. We have already stated how remarkably sweet the odour of it is when the rainbow has been extended over it. This plant cures fetid ulcers of the mouth, polypus of the nose, ulcerations or carbuncles of the generative organs, and chaps. Taken in drink, it acts as a carminative, and is curative of strangury. The bark is good for patients troubled with discharges of blood, and a decoction of it acts astringently on the bowels. It is generally thought that the wild plant is productive of the same effects. Chapter 70. The Thorn Called Appendix. Two Remedies. The Pyracantha. One Remedy. There is a thorn also known as the appendix, that name being given to the red berries which hang from its branches. These berries eaten by themselves, raw or else dried and boiled in wine, arrest looseness of the bowels and dispel griping pains in the stomach. The berries of the pyracantha are taken in drink for wounds inflicted by serpents. Chapter 71. The Palliurus. Ten Remedies. The Palliurus, too, is a kind of thorn. The seed of it, known by the people of Africa as Zura, is extremely efficacious for the sting of the scorpion, as also for urinary calculi and cough. The leaves are of an astringent nature, and the root disperses inflamed tumours, gatherings and abscesses. Taken in drink, it is diuretic in its effects. A decoction of it in wine arrests diarrhoea and neutralises the venom of serpents. The root, more particularly, is administered in wine. Chapter 72. The Agrifolia. The Aquifolia, one remedy. The U, one property belonging to it. The Agrifolia, pounded with the addition of salt, is good for diseases of the joints, and the berries are used in cases of excessive menstruation, celiac affections, dysentery, and cholera. Taken in wine, they act astringently upon the bowels. A decoction of the root applied externally extracts foreign bodies from the flesh, and is remarkably useful for sprains and tumours. The tree called aquifolia, planted in a town or country house, is a preservative against sorceries and spells. The blossom of it, according to Pythagoras, congeals water, and a staff made of the wood, if, when thrown at any animal, from want of strength in the party throwing it, it falls short of the mark, 
will roll hack again towards the thrower, of its own accord so remarkable are the properties of this tree. The smoke of the yew kills rats and mice. Chapter 73. The Bramble. Fifty-one Remedies. Nor yet has nature destined the bramble to be only an annoyance to mankind, for she has bestowed upon it mulberries of its own, or, in other words, a nutritive aliment, even for mankind. These berries are of a desiccative, astringent nature, and are extremely useful for maladies of the gums, tonsillary glands, and generative organs. They neutralize also the venom of those most deadly of serpents, the hemahua and the prester, and the flowers or fruit will heal wounds inflicted by scorpions without any danger of abscesses forming. The shoots of the bramble have a diuretic effect, and the more tender ones are pounded and the juice extracted and then dried in the sun, till it has attained the consistency of honey, being considered a most excellent remedy, taken in drink or applied externally, for maladies of the mouth and eyes, discharges of blood from the mouth, quincy, affections of the uterus, diseases of the rectum, and celiac affections. The leaves, chewed, are good for diseases of the mouth, and a topical application is made of them for running ulcers and other maladies of the head. In the cardiac disease they are similarly applied to the left breast by themselves. They are applied topically also for pains in the stomach and for precedence of the eyes. The juice of them is used as an injection for the ears, and in combination with cerate of roses, it heals condylomata. A decoction of the young shoots in wine is an instantaneous remedy for diseases of the ovula, and eaten by themselves like cymes, or boiled in astringent wine, they strengthen loose teeth. They arrest fluxes of the bowels also, and discharges of blood, and are very useful for dysentery. Dried in the shade and then burnt, the ashes of them are curative of procedence of the ovula. The leaves, too, dried and pounded, are very useful, it is said, for ulcers upon beasts of burden. The berries produced by this plant would seem to furnish a stomatis superior even to that prepared from the cultivated mulberry. Under this form or else only with hypocystis and honey, the berries are administered for cholera, the cardiac disease, and wounds inflicted by spiders. Among the medicaments known as styptics, there is none that is more efficacious than a decoction of the root of the bramble in wine, boiled down to one-third. Ulcerations of the mouth and rectum are bathed with it, and fomentations of it are used for a similar purpose. Indeed, it is so remarkably powerful in its effects that the very sponges which are used become as hard as a stone. Chapter 74. The Sinospatos. Three Remedies. There is another kind of bramble also which bears a rose. It produces a round excrescence, similar to a chestnut in appearance, which is remarkably valuable as a remedy for calculus. This is quite a different production from the Sonoroda, which we shall have occasion to speak of in the succeeding book, 96. 14. The Sinospatos is by some called Sinopanxis, and by others Neurospatos. The leaf resembles the human footstep in shape. It bears also a black grape, in the berries of which there is a nerve to which it is indebted for its name of Neurospatos. It is quite a different plant from the Caparis or Caper, to which medical men have also given the name of Sinospatos. The clusters of it, pickled in vinegar, are eaten as a remedy for diseases of the spleen and flatulency, and the string found in the berries, chewed with Chian Mastich, cleanses the mouth. The rose of the bramble, mixed with axle grease, is curative of alopecia and the bramble berries themselves, combined with oil of omphacium, stain the hair. The blossom of the bramble is gathered at harvest, and the white blossom taken in wine is an excellent remedy for pleurisy and celiac affections. 
The root, boiled down to one-third, arrests looseness of the bowels and haemorrhage, and a decoction of it, used as a gargle, is good for the teeth. The juice, too, is employed as a fomentation for ulcers of the rectum and generative organs. The ashes of the root are curative of relaxations of the upula. Chapter 75. The Adean Bramble the Adean bramble is so called from the fact that it is the only plant of the kind found growing upon Mount Ida. It is of a more delicate nature than the others, and smaller. The canes, too, are thinner and not so prickly. It mostly grows beneath the shade of trees. The blossom of it, mixed with honey, is applied topically for defluxions of the eyes, and is administered in water for erysipelas and affections of the stomach. In other respects, it has properties similar to those of the plants already mentioned. Chapter 76. The Ramnos. Two varieties of it. Five remedies. Among the several kinds of bramble is reckoned the plant called Ramnos by the Greeks. One variety of it is whiter than the other and has a more shrub-like appearance, throwing out branches armed with straight thorns and not hooked, like those of the other kinds. The leaves, too, are larger. The other kind, which is found growing wild, is of a more swarthy hue, in some measure inclining to red, it bears to a sort of pod. With the root of it boiled in water, a medicament is made known as lyceum. The seed of it is useful for bringing away the afterbirth. The white kind, however, is of a more astringent and cooling nature, and better adapted for the treatment of gatherings and wounds. The leaves of both kinds, either raw or boiled, are employed topically with oil. Chapter 77. Lyceum. 18 Remedies. The best lyceum, they say, is that prepared from the thorn of that name, known also as the Chironian Pixacanthus, and mentioned by us when speaking of the trees in India, the lyceum of those regions being generally looked upon as by far the best. The branches and roots, which are intensely bitter, are first pounded and then boiled for three days in a copper vessel, after which the woody parts are removed and the decoction is boiled again, till it has attained the consistency of honey. It is adulterated with various bitter extracts, as also with a murka of olive oil and ox gall. The froth or flour of this decoction is used as an ingredient in compositions for the eyes, and the other part of it is employed as a cosmetic for the face, and for the cure of itch scabs, corroding sores in the corners of the eyes, inveterate fluxes, and separations of the ears. It is useful too for diseases of the tonsillary glands and gums, for coughs, and for discharges of blood from the mouth, being generally taken in pieces the size of a bean. For the cure of discharges from wounds, it is applied to the part affected, and it is similarly used for chaps, ulcerations of the genitals, excoriations, ulcers, whether putrid serpiginous or of recent date, hard excretions of the nostrils and suppurations. It is taken also by females in milk for the purpose of arresting the catamenia when in excess. The Indian lyceum is distinguished from the other kinds by its colour, the lumps being black outside and, when broken, red within, though they turn black very quickly. It is bitter and remarkably astringent, and is employed for all the purposes above mentioned, diseases of the generative organs in particular. Chapter 78. Sarcocola. Two Remedies. Some authors are of opinion that sarcocola is a tear-like gum which exudes from a kind of thorn. It is similar to powdered incense in appearance, has a sweet flavour with a slight degree of bitter, and is of the consistency of gum. Pounded in wine, it arrests defluxions and is used as a topical application for infants more particularly. This substance too becomes black when old. The whiter it is, the more highly it is esteemed. 
Chapter 79, Operice, Two Remedies. We are indebted, too, to the medicinal properties of trees for one very celebrated medicament, known as Operice. This preparation is used for dysentery and various affections of the stomach, the following being the method of preparing it. Five quinces, seeds and all, with the same number of pomegranates, one sextarius of sorbs, a similar quantity of Syrian ruse, and half an ounce of saffron, are boiled in one congenius of white grape juice at a slow heat, till the whole mixture is reduced to the consistency of honey. Chapter 80. The Trixigo, Camidrius, Camidrops, or Tucria. 16 Remedies. We shall now add to these plants certain vegetable productions to which the Greeks have given names belonging to trees, so that it would be doubtful whether they themselves are not trees as well. 15. The Camidrius is the same plant that in Latin is called Trixigo. Some persons, however, call it Camidrops, and others Tucria. The leaves of it are the size of those of mint, but in their colour and indentations they resemble those of the oak. According to some, the leaves are serrated, and it was these, they say, that first suggested the idea of the saw. The flower of it borders closely upon purple. The plant is gathered in rough, craggy localities. When it is replete with juice, and whether taken internally or applied topically, it is extremely efficacious for the stings of venomous serpents, diseases of the stomach, inveterate coughs, collections of phlegm in the throat, ruptures, convulsions, and pains in the sides. It diminishes the volume of the spleen and acts as a diuretic and amenagogue, for which reasons it is very useful in incipient dropsy, the usual dose being a handful of the sprigs boiled down to one-third in three hemini of water. Lozenges, too, are made of it for the above-named purposes, by bruising it in water. In combination with honey, it heals abscesses and inveterate or sordid ulcers. A wine, too, is prepared from it for diseases of the chest. The juice of the leaves, mixed with oil, disperses films on the eyes. It is taken also in vinegar for diseases of the spleen. Employed as a friction, it is of a warming nature. Chapter 81. The Camidaphne. Five Remedies. The Camidaphne consists of a single diminutive stem, about a cubit in height, the limbs of it being smaller than those of the laurel. These leaves... Section redacted. The seed, which is of a red colour and attached to the leaves, is applied fresh for headache, is of a cooling nature for burning heats, and is taken for griping pains in the bowels with wine. The juice of this plant, taken in wine, acts as an amenagogue and diuretic, and applies as a pessary in wool, it facilitates laborious deliveries. Chapter 82. The Camellia. Six Remedies. The leaves of the Camellia resemble those of the olive. They are bitter, however, and odiferous. This plant is found growing in craggy localities, and never exceeds a palm in height. It is of a purgative nature, and carries off phlegm and bile, for which purposes the leaves are boiled with twice the quantity of wormwood, and the decoction taken with honey. The leaves, applied to ulcers, have a detergent effect. It is said that, if a person gathers it before sunrise, taking care to mention that he is gathering it for the cure of white specks in the eyes, and then wears it as an amulet, it will effect a cure. As also that, gathered in any way, it is beneficial for the eyes of beasts of burden and cattle. Chapter 83. The Camisice. Eight Remedies. The Camisice has leaves similar to those of the lentil and lying close to the ground. It is found growing in dry, rocky localities. A decoction of it in wine is remarkably useful as a liniment for improving the sight, and for dispersing cataract, cicatrizations, 
films and cloudiness of the eyes. Applied in a pledget of linen as a pessary, it allays pain in the uterus, and used topically, it removes warts and excrescences of all kinds. It is very useful also for hardness of breathing. Chapter 84. The Camisissos. One remedy. The Camisissos has ears like those of wheat, with numerous leaves and small branches, about five in number. When in blossom, it might almost be taken for the white violet. The root of it is diminutive. For sciatica, the leaves of it are taken, seven days consecutively, in doses of three oboli, in two siathi of wine. This is a very bitter potion, however. Chapter 85. The Camilus, Farfararum, or Farfugium, one remedy. The Camilus is known among us as the Farfarum, or Farfugium. It grows on the banks of rivers and has a leaf like that of the poplar, only larger. The root of it is burnt upon cypress charcoal, and by the aid of a funnel, the smoke inhaled in case of inveterate cough. Chapter 86. The Camipus. Five remedies. The Camisiparissos. Two remedies. The Ampeloprison. Six remedies. The Stichis. One remedy. The Camipus has a leaf which resembles that of the larch, and is useful more particularly for lumbago and pains in the back. The Camisiparissos is a herb which, taken in wine, counteracts the venom of serpents of all kinds and of scorpions. The Ampeloprason is found growing in vineyards. It has leaves like those of the leek and produces offensive eructations. It is highly efficacious for the stings of serpents and acts as an amenagogue and diuretic. Taken in drink or applied externally, it arrests discharges of blood from the generative organs. It is prescribed also for females after delivery and is used for bites inflicted by dogs. The plant known as stachys bears a strong resemblance also to a leek, but the leaves of it are longer and more numerous. It has an agreeable smell and in colour inclines to yellow. It promotes menstruation. Chapter 87. The Clinopodian, Cleonician, Zopiron, or Osimoides, Three Remedies. The Clinopodian, Cleonician, Zopiron, or Osimoides, resembles wild thyme in appearance. The stem of it is tough and ligneous, and it is a palm in height. It grows in stony soils, and the leaves are trained regularly around the stem, which resembles a bedpost in appearance. This plant is taken in drink for convulsions, ruptures, strangury, and wounds inflicted by serpents. A decoction is also made of it, and the juice is similarly employed. Chapter 88 the Clematis Centunculus, Three Remedies. We shall now have to annex some plants of a marvellous nature, no doubt, but not so well known, reserving those of a higher reputation for the succeeding books. Our people give the name of Centunculus to a creeping plant that grows in the fields, the leaves of which bear a strong resemblance to the hoods attached to our cloaks. By the Greeks it is known as the Clematis. Taken in astringent wine, it is wonderfully effectual for arresting diarrhoea, beaten up in doses of one denarius in five sciathi of oxymel or of warm water, it arrests hemorrhage and facilitates the afterbirth. Chapter 89. The Clematis Echites, or Legine. The Greeks have other varieties also of the Clematis, one of which is known as Echites, or Legine, and by some as the Little Scamini. Its stems are about two feet in height and covered with leaves. In general appearance, it is not unlike Scamini, were it not that the leaves are darker and more diminutive. It is found growing in vineyards and cultivated soils. 
it is eaten as a vegetable with oil and salt and acts as a laxative upon the bowels it is taken also for dysentery with linseed in astringent wine the leaves of this plant are applied with polenta for defluxions of the eyes the part affected being first covered with a pledget of wet linen applied to scrofulous sores they cause them to suppurate and if some axle grease is then applied a perfect cure will be effected they are applied also to piles with green oil and are good for thysis in combination with honey taken with the foods they increase the milk in nursing women and rubbed upon the heads of infants they promote the rapid growth of the hair eaten with vinegar they act as an aphrodisiac chapter ninety the egyptian clematis daphnoides or polygonoides two remedies there is another kind also known as the egyptian clematis otherwise as daphnoides or polygonoides it has a leaf like that of the laurel and is long and slender taken in vinegar it is very useful for the stings of serpents that of the asp in particular End of section 20